Hi, I'm Andre Longley. My guest this week on the Ham and Hyde podcast is the first of the candidates from the main political parties in the forthcoming London mayoral election. The Liberal Democrat's Louisa Porritt is a bell-sized councillor in Camden and a former MEP. Among the topics for discussion are threats to our liberty, housing and low-traffic neighbourhoods. So, Louisa Porritt, thank you for joining us on the Ham and Hyde podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Always good to be back with Ham and Hyde. Yes, and obviously you're one of our uh, local councillors, um, so you, you know our area well. Um, but today we're mainly going to talk on a slightly wider scale about um, London and about um, what your plans are, what your policies are for the, the mayoral campaign. It's kind of hard to know where to start because news keeps happening um, incessantly. And as we speak, it's um, a week or so since the police bill um, sparked protests and uh, seems to have been shelved. I think that's probably a good place to start. What's your immediate reaction to the way the Met has dealt with the last couple of weeks? Well, I've made my views very clear. I think that the vigil on Clapham Common should have been allowed to go ahead safely and that the Met Police should have worked with the official organisers to allow that to happen. I wrote to Cressida Dick with my colleague on the London Assembly, Caroline Pigeon, urging her to do that because I think it was inevitable that events were going to play out the way that they did on that Saturday night, although I think all of us were shocked by the extent to which um, the way that it was policed was so disproportionate with um, male police officers' knees on the backs of young women. It was the last thing that we needed after such a traumatic week, um, learning about what had happened to this young woman and being reminded of the experiences uh, that many of us go through all the time, those near misses um, that that sadly... um, she was a, a victim of um, the, the worst consequences of that. And then in the aftermath, uh, I called for Cressida Dick to resign. I was the only candidate that did that. Um, and you mentioned the policing bill there. Well, actually, not only is the government trying to take away our rights to protest peacefully, Uh, which should be sacrosanct in any situation, Um, but they're trying to make this permanent beyond the pandemic. But Cressida Dick herself has weighed in on this before and said that it would be helpful for the police to have these additional powers, which was quite a a political move, I think, on her part. And what do you think the mayor's role should be in this what uh because obviously policing strategies become come under a lot of scrutiny not just in the last few weeks but i suppose over the last couple of years as well what would you change i think the fundamental issue right now is lack of trust between the police and the communities that they serve and we need to get back to the police being seen as a service and not just a force. Um, And it's not just young women whose confidence 
in the police has been damaged by the events of recent weeks. If you're a black, Asian or ethnic minority Londoner, then you've already got that problem of lack of trust in the police. And there are lots of reasons for that. We um, saw some disproportionate responses to the way that Black Lives Matter protests were policed last year. We know that um, black, Asian and other ethnic minority Londoners are more likely to be stopped and searched, particularly under blanket stop and search powers, which are often used after an incident of knife crime happens, for example. So that's the first thing, but that there are many areas to address. And I think restoring community policing is part of the solution as well. We've, in all our areas, we've seen a loss of dedicated ward officers. And I think that's a core part of how we're going to restore that trust. And it also helps the police to do their jobs more effectively uh, because they can gather the intelligence that they need to prevent and solve crimes. And, and ward officers or, or local local bobbies is is part of your manifesto. Where's that going to be diverted from, though? It's not about uh, diverting. It's it's about getting back to something more like what we used to have in the past. Past. Um, there are we used talking, to be... Sorry, are we talking hiring new officers, increasing numbers in that case? Well, the Conservative government, ironically, is now increasing, promising to increase the numbers of police officers, not just in the Met, but but beyond. But all they're doing is repairing the damage of having cut officers in the first place. And while I welcome the fact that there are um, more officer numbers being increased now, I think it's really important that they're embedded in local communities. Um, But also there's, there's still a damaging impact from the fact that we've lost those other officers in the first place because there's been a big loss of experience and it's not easy to compensate for that and the other thing that's happening in this rush to recruit and get people through to make up for that loss in officers is that there isn't as much time being invested in training officers and I think that is also what's leading to some of the kinds of problems that we've seen as you rightly pointed out not just in recent weeks, but over the past year and and before that. Um, And it's really important that the police are sensitive to who they're policing. What what do you think the role is of stop and search? I think that it plays an important part in um, investigating crimes, but I don't think um, at the end of the day, it's not tackling the root causes of crime, is it? So I think that we still need to be doing that as a society. Um, I wouldn't get rid of stop and search altogether. I think that intelligence-led stop and search is a good thing. And the police have existing powers where um, they can stop someone, but they have to provide a reason. And in doing that, um, there's less likely to be that damage to trust that we've seen happen under suspicionless stop and search. So this is when Uh, the police use those blanket powers I referred to, Section 60 orders, which are often reactive knee-jerk responses after an incident has already taken place. Um, And the police don't have to give a reason um, in that situation. So you can see when you have a combination of police officers who aren't getting the training that they need and deserve, and these blanket powers, how things can go wrong. In terms of the wider issues that have come up in the last couple of weeks women's safety has um, been at the the top of the agenda as you as you touched upon before what do you think are the substantial changes society needs to make and, and how can it make them 
there isn't an easy fix to this problem and it's it's going to take time I mean one thing is that we need to be educating boys from a young age to be respectful of women and to treat them as equals because that is at the root of why they grow into men who then can that well, there's a whole range of ways in which this manifests from casual sexism to horrific violence like what we saw happen to Sarah Everard so it requires education um you're right that it's across society that this problem exists it's not just specific to the police um but training within all our institutions is a key part of that as well and and make sure we're really getting to the root of the problem rather than just lazily saying things like let's add more police to the streets so women can can feel safe well we should be able to go out and live as freely as men do in the first place so if i'm hearing you rightly it's it's a a change in education is the priority Um, so we we talk about new new courses new additions to the curriculum for primary schools I think it's it's schooling, it's parenting. That, as I said, there isn't one easy answer to this. Um, but we need to first recognise, as a society, and this is what really worries me about the political responses I've seen to this, that they're not getting to the nub of how this problem comes about in the first place. Um, but there are other practical things that need to be done as well. I'm glad that misogyny has now been made a hate crime and that the domestic abuse bill has gone through Parliament. These will all make a difference. We also need um, much more um, effective prosecution rates for women who are victims um, of um, violence, because too often um, those situations don't end in convictions. Often, um, cases aren't even passed on to, to the CPS in the first place because they, they refuse to take the cases forward. So there are things that need to be done at absolutely every level, um, but we know what some of them are. I mean, as a country, we've not even ratified the Istanbul Convention, which would punish perpetrators of violence against women and girls and uh, give more protection to victims. So there are things we can do, but um, it's, it's a wholesale cultural change as well. One of the, the changes Londoners have really seen over the last year is a lot of councils introducing new traffic measures and um, it's certainly sparked a reaction the, the the letters LTN are actually very familiar to people that it's a, a lively debate online. What's your opinion of how it's been done and what should be done differently or should they be removed entirely? So low traffic neighbourhoods have been around for a long time. The Liberal Democrats have long supported them and promoting active travel. It's a good thing for Londoners to be able to get around our city more easily by walking and cycling. The problem that we've seen in the last year is that councils have often introduced schemes without consultation. And so that's led to some backlash by local communities because they feel like they weren't included in the decision-making process. And I think that it really underpins that it's so important 
to bring communities along with you when you're trying to introduce big changes, even if they're positive changes, um, they need to be a part of that. And actually what I think is a bit of a shame is that as a result of how it's been done, we've missed out on some good ideas from within the community as well. Here in Camden, I've had residents coming to me proposing where we could introduce more schemes, um, but there was this very tight window uh, to for councils to apply for the money from TfL and government said to councils not to consult in the first place um, and and so you've seen this backlash against certain schemes some of them have been successful as well of course um, and I think the lessons need to be learned from that that there has to be consultation in future. Do you think there's a difficulty with um, consultation because when people are consulted they kind of expect it to be listened to but sometimes I think it's there's a uh, people get mixed up with consultations and referendums or referenda something you're very familiar with as a former <laughs> um, yes. but consultation doesn't necessarily mean that the decision is going to go the way of whatever 52 percent of the people in that borough um, agree with and the authorities and, and the councils and, and, and TFL are in a situation where they have to consult, they need to bring people along, but it's not a referendum, it's it's um, it's representative democracy, it's making decisions that are, are, are thought best for society and then, and then you get to vote on those people. Well, you're absolutely right. It's not a referendum. It's not a yes, no question, actually. When you're consulting, the good thing about that is that councils are inviting residents for comment as well. So they have a chance to explain what some of their concerns might be about the idea, um, say what they like about it. And that information allows councils to also respond and tweak schemes accordingly if they need to. So it's not just about whether they introduce it or not, it's also about how and the design of that. And I think it's really important to bring residents along in that process and actually to involve them in the design of schemes from the outset, because then we'll end up with something better that works uh, for the local community and for as many people as possible. Um, but you're right, you're never going to have 100% agreement with everything that a council does. And, and to be frank, the preferable scheme is, is often going to be the scheme that doesn't affect my route to work. It's just the reality of it is that it, there's, there's a certain amount of I'm not against in theory. It's just this makes makes my life more difficult. Do you think actually there's a um, we, we've all got to accept that things are going to get more difficult in some ways as we address some of these uh, environmental issues? Well, it depends what you mean by getting more difficult. I don't think that it, it's a balance, isn't it? It's not necessarily making life more difficult for people. In, in many ways, it's going to make it easier. And actually, if, if we want to tackle the climate emergency, but also we want to strengthen our local communities, then we need to make it easier within every neighbourhood of London to, to get around. Um, and so creating those routes so that people actually have other options of how to get about. It's, it's about incentives as well, isn't it? So at the moment, the reason why a lot of people get into a car is because they don't have better alternative options, not just walking and cycling options, but public transport more generally. So um, it shouldn't just be about um, 
creating barriers for people it's it's about giving people more of a range of alternatives and environmentally friendly ones at that something else you've all you've talked about to do with london's roads is the congestion charge which is obviously going to be a big issue what's the future of the congestion charge what are the alternatives what is your alternative plan so I want to introduce a fairer pay-as-you-go road pricing scheme that would apply across the whole of London. And that would be far better than having this complex web of schemes that and outdated schemes at that that are um, emerging. We've got the congestion charge already. We've got ULEs. That's probably going to be expanded. The possible boundary charge, which would disproportionately impact some Londoners just based on where they live or where they need to happen to go for their work. So actually, some people are paying more than others just based on their postcode. And I don't think that's fair or progressive. It would be much better um, both for our environment and fairer on Londoners as a whole to um, introduce a road pricing scheme that uses technology in order to charge based on things like the length of journey people have to make, um, the type of vehicle that they have, the level of emissions that produces. Um, and so it, it would be not only fairer, but also it's a way of putting TfL's finances on a more sustainable footing for the future, because at the moment, the problem that we have is there's, there's no being plan being put forward for it. It's right that the government steps in in the short term, uh, but there also needs to be a plan for how to raise revenue for our tube and bus network. And it's very clear that TfL won't be able to rely on the income from fares that it has in the past because people are going to be uh, working from home a lot more than they were before the pandemic. So just on your on the particular the scheme, the, the um, London wide road scheme, how would that work in, in practice? Say I, I've got a car. I'm a very, very occasional driver. Yeah. What will I pay and when to get around where? Well, like as we've been discussing uh, about previous types of schemes, there, there would have to be consultation before introducing it uh, to work out the fairest way of doing it, including some exemptions if uh, people are disabled or they need to use their car for work, for example. Uh, you can see obvious areas where that would be needed. Um, there wouldn't be any blanket charge. It would it would be based on the, the length of journey that you're making and the type of vehicle that you have. So it's using technology that already exists, powers that the mayor already has. Um, and, you know, we have a pay-as-you-go scheme already for how we charge Londoners to get around on the bus and the tube. Why shouldn't that apply to our road network as well? You say the, the technology already exists, that there would be a capital uh, expense to get it set up, presumably. Is that costed? Well, it's so this is not a new concept. Um, it's something that um, Centre for London, for example, um, the think tank that works on these kinds of ideas, um, has already said uh, it's viable to introduce. And the thing is, um, the interesting thing about the analysis that they've done is that it has the potential not only to, to meet um, the needs of the, the costs that uh, TfL is incurring now, but also to create surplus revenue um, to invest in public transport projects so we can have more clean, green ways of getting around the capital. So actually, it's, it's going to pay for itself in the end. 
housing is the eternal issue for for London, and um, it's an issue you've talked about extensively. You've talked about setting up a housing corporation for London. Is that correct? Um, yes, it would be a London housing company. And so the first task of this company would be to assess the scale of the opportunity that has come about as a result of this shift to home working with much more empty office space coming onto the market and the potential to convert that into quality, affordable, zero carbon homes. Because at the moment, no studies even been undertaken of the impact that's going to have on our city, which has already been done in Paris, for example. Um, and it's quite dramatic. So that needs to be the first task, but um, it would be looking at how we can make more effective use of the space we already have in our capital. Um, that would include um, some direct building as well. Um, and things like looking at, there are 25, more than 25,000 empty homes um, across the capital and we need to bring those back into use. So it would be taking charge um, of addressing the housing crisis rather than just leaving the market as has been the case in the past as a free-for-all for developers, uh, which means that we don't get the affordable housing we need. What would be the mechanism for getting those empty houses or empty office units converted? Um, so I think we can work with developers on this, but I think that what the mayor's office needs to be doing is setting the standard uh, for that. Um, insisting that conversions are of quality, that there's enough affordable housing provision, because too often we've seen in the past uh, developers saying they're going to deliver X percent of affordable housing and then citing viability issues and reneging on that after receiving planning permission. So this would be more proactively taking charge of the situation from the outset, um, setting those standards and creating incentives for, for developers to work according to that criteria. Would you not need some fairly substantial incentives if, as you say, there is a danger developers are going to turn around and say, well, it's just not viable to have 50% affordable housing on this, on this plot? Well, I don't buy that because there are examples from elsewhere of this having been done already. They've done it in Rotterdam, so there's no reason we can't do it for our capital too. In terms of... Um, the wider issue of housing, I suppose, um, homelessness was uh, something that was addressed fairly early on in, to, in the pandemic and with some degree of success, um, we're a year on and uh, I suspect things aren't quite as good as they were 10 months ago for lots of people who find themselves in that situation. How do you see addressing that? Well, as you point out, we've seen how effective it can be to get rough sleepers off the streets when we really have the will to do that as a society. And it's, it's the first most basic need to have a roof over your head. And without that, it's, it's very hard to address other challenges that you might be facing in your life. Um, it's such a a primary worry for people um, and what has worked elsewhere in places like Finland for example is a housing first approach we've basically seen that rolled out in practice over the last year and so I want to see that done permanently the last thing any of us wants 
is seeing um, people who finally do have a roof over their head, as is their human right, then being um, removed from that accommodation and ending up back on the streets, potentially. What should the mayor's role be in the recovery of our high streets? I think the first and most important thing is to recognise that the high street needs to move away from this old-fashioned retail model of, um, yeah, just having shops on the high street. Uh, we, we hear all these very negative news stories all the time about stores closing down and the death of the high street and how things will never be the same again. It's true they probably won't be the same again, but then we need to take charge of the process of leading us towards the high streets of the future. And that's what I want to do with my plan. So I think that we've got an opportunity in front of us to make our high streets uh, thriving places at the heart of our communities again and serving the needs of local communities by making them more services oriented. Um, There are already practical examples of this being done. For example, Lib Dem Run Sutton successfully uh, won a bid from the government to reimagine their high street. Um, And they're converting an old RBS building into um, a a vegan cafe and a space for um, their regeneration officers to, to go and work and be more in the heart of the community. So we know it can be done. And with people working from home more, they're going to need things like co-working spaces if they don't have an environment at home that makes it easy for them to work at home, childcare services available locally, Um, more places to socialize after work because we all know from the last year how important that downtime is. Um, And there has been fresh demand on local high streets around London as a result of people spending more time and money in their local areas. So I think it's important to to seize that opportunity and not just um, see the whole debate around the high streets as as an inevitable decline. I know you're gonna say I'm optimistic because you're in in an election race and that's what you have to do at this stage. But how do you you feel about where we are and where we're heading um, as a country, I suppose? Um, Wow, that's quite a a big question. Um, Well, obviously, there are things I'm not happy about in terms of where we've been heading as a country. We already have seen the impact, the real life impact that Brexit is happening or uh, is having rather on our businesses in particular. And actually, the impact on retailers is probably yet to be seen because we're in a lockdown, but we will soon see how that's affecting their supply chains um, here in London. Um, We're a 90% services-based economy here in London. There wasn't a deal for services at all. So there's there's huge bureaucracy affecting um, financial services, for example, which whatever you feel about bankers makes up a big part of the Treasury's annual tax take um, and is a big contributor to London's economy as a whole. Um, We've also seen, well, things that we've been talking about during this conversation, like the introduction of even more police powers to clamp down on protests. That goes to the the core of what liberalism is about and a, a free society. So I'm very worried about this 
authoritarian direction that we seem to be going in. Um, but I think the mayor of London has a, a part to play, not only in using their own powers to drive the recovery at this crucial moment for our capital as we move beyond the pandemic, but also in setting the tone and um, standing up for our values, not just as Londoners, but as Brits, I think. Um, and, and you have an inf important influencing platform in that role. And I, I would seek to, to use the office in both ways, um, to, to stand up for those values that we hold dear, but also to, to do things in office to make life better and easier for Londoners. What do you think those values are for Brits? I think that, well, especially here in London, but it's something that maybe I took for granted a little bit before and, it, and, and feels like it's under threat, is that we are, in my view, I see us as an open, welcoming society. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of division in the last few years in politics, and that's called some of those things into question. Um, but I think that's cynical opportunism on the part of politicians um, exploiting some of the things that people are worried about rather than something that speaks to who we are. Um, and I would like us to get back to a place where um, there's more unity and community cohesion because it feels like we've moved quite, quite far away from that, which is a worrying trend. We've not really talked about the party at all I suppose you've you've essentially said liberal values there you're the liberal democrats candidate the I suppose the question you must get asked every time this election is what are the liberal democrats for surely it's all between labor and conservatives and that question remains what what is the liberal democrats role or or, or future here well, I think we've seen in the last few weeks why liberalism is needed more than ever. Um, we, are, we were the first party to oppose that policing crime and sentencing bill. Um, thank goodness Labour uh, joined in that, but they were initially going to abstain on it, not support it. We said from the outset we would vote against it. We're the only party that voted um, against um, the government's um, extension of the coronavirus act which uh, affects our civil civil liberties and actually if we're um vaccinating more of the population and we've got this roadmap of unlocking we should be getting some of our fundamental freedoms back um and ed davey's been been very clear about that and actually our mps voted against it last time as well and we were the only ones to do that so we have a distinctive voice and and role to play not just here in London but in the national debate I believe and I think that people are quite fed up of the punch and judy politics uh, you saw quite a lot of that between Sean Bailey and Sadiq Khan on TV last night and I think it turns people off and one of the things about being a Liberal Democrat is you get used to working with others across the aisle in order to get things done. And I think for the mayor of London, it's so important to have that quality as a person to be able to do that because you've got to work with um, local councils of uh, different political colours. Um, you've got to work with um, central government that 
won't necessarily be um, the, the same party that, that you're from. And the only way you can be effective in that role is by really harnessing those relationships at both levels in order to deliver for Londoners. Do you think you could win this race? Look, we are early in the race. The official campaign has only just begun this week. So it, it's, it's too soon to be um, saying what we think will happen. What I know is that I stood in two elections. I've won both of them, but no one thought I was going to win either of them. Um, when I stood as a councillor, I was a newcomer. No one thought that I could beat the Conservatives in my local area. I did when I stood in the European elections. No one believed at the outset that the Lib Dems would win three MEPs in London, which is how I got elected. Um, but we won the capital and that was the last time we had a PR election. We run councils here. We've got MPs. So what I would say is it's often easy to write the Liberal Democrats off, but, but don't do it because um, this is an election where people actually have the freedom to vote for the candidate and party whose policies and vision they most agree with. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, to presenting what I have to offer to London, um, my plan to take London forward and let's see what the electorate think of that. Thanks to Louisa for joining us. Don't forget to hit subscribe. We'll be back again soon.